Hi, I'm Alison McIntyre, and this is the FinOps Pod. Do you know Steve said he was listening to the podcast and he was like, you and Stacy went on a bit, didn't you? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I was just wanting to get to TJ and you guys kept talking. <laughs> are you saying we talk too much? Well, because I was like, sometimes... you have no idea how much I edited it out. That was a great, again, accent. No, <laughs> well, I thought it was good, quite honestly. I thought it was great. And now we know that Stephen Trask is the president of the anti-Joe and Stacy fan club. He's the president of the You Talk Too Much. Well, you know what? If Steve Trask said we talked too much, then we probably did. I think but you let's also too much. ask him. Let's ask him. Are you listening to every podcast, Steve? Did we talk more or less? Than the last one. Hey, Steve, we're just going to keep talking right here. We're just going to keep talking and see if this annoys you, Steve. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I went on my walk and I wanted to hear about unit economics. And see, now I'm doing my Australia voice. No, honey. Joe, that was not Australian either. I hate to tell you it wasn't you know Australian or English. Mike Fuller was at the end of that podcast. And all of you who didn't hear Mike Fuller on the unit economics podcast, shame on you. I for did. For not listening to the full thing. My imitation of Mike Fuller and the real Mike Fuller are so close. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was closer than I expected it to be. Okay, let's get on with this one then. You ready yeah. for that? Yeah. Hey, I'm Stacy Case. And I'm Joe Daly. This is the pod, Who's... the FinUps pod. Okay, we'll go with that. Hey, I'm very excited mm -hmm. to talk about our guest this week, your guest who you interviewed. One, this is one of the very few times I've actually listened to the entire interview before doing the intro, before doing the intro, because you don't usually send me the interviews okay. before the intros, which is kind it's of true. fun. Yeah. Um, but also I couldn't stop listening. I know. She's so great. So who do we have? We have Alison McIntyre. I'm a FinOps lead at Lloyd's Banking Group in Scotland, yes. right? Yes. It, it was amazing. So Noel Crowley and I got on the podcast recording with her and she just started talking mm -hmm. and I was like, hold on. I told, I stopped her. I hit the record button and I was like, all right, go again. When we jump into it, it's like halfway through a conversation. We were going to talk about forecasting, yeah, but, and we do touch on forecasting, but she was so open and honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can have a completely different sort of setup or environment, but she's going to say things, say something in this conversation that resonates with you. Yeah. And well, I was just like, wow. It's so great. I just want to say what a delight Allison is in general. We had the opportunity mm -hmm. back in March to be in Scotland, to be in Edinburgh and meet her face to face. And I sat down with her and I spent a lot of time joking with her. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast right now. She's she's just cool. She's a cool person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I wanted to call out and without giving too much away, but I know that you usually go heavy into what the podcast is about, but there's things that 
she talked about during the interview without, again, giving too much away that I think will resonate with everybody, regardless of your setup. And one of them was even talking about forecasting specifically. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that blank page problem, right? Because she's talking about her team, talking about forecasting, like, well, what, what should I start with? What should, what should I do? And she's like, I just put a stake in the ground. You just have to start somewhere. And I think that's just so true for so many things that we do. There's that fear of, ah, I'm going to do the wrong thing, but you just have to start. And it's okay then to iterate off of that and to change and to learn and to grow. And that's what we should be doing. And don't let that fear kind of paralyze you from not starting to not starting the thing or doing the thing the first time. Absolutely. I mean, that's how all of our FinOps knowledge has been generated is because someone tried something. Trust me, I tried plenty of things that failed. Mm -hmm. You got to be willing to fail and then act to fix it. You and I personally have Mm -hmm. had a lot of conversations about this too, right? The need to sometimes fail, to go through and try something and knowing you may or may not succeed. But then Mm -hmm. by that, that failing, we're learning so much to do it better. It doesn't always have to be succeed to learn. It could be failing to learn. And you have to, sometimes it's a scary thing. Not everybody's comfortable doing that. Um, I should get these podcast interviews edited so I can share them with you before. Oh, so I can talk about them. Yeah. (laughs) Funny thing about that folks. Wouldn't it be great if Stacy heard what she was introducing before she introduced it? Well, better conversations. You know, (laughs) I like, you know, I like to get the podcast completed about, you know, an hour or two before it's released. And so. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. But this one, my goodness, Allison is great. You and Noel do a great job. But honestly, we barely hear from you because Allison has just got so much to say. And it's wonderful. I can feel Steve on his walkabout getting frustrated that we're going on and on. So let's get into the interview. And we started recording halfway through a conversation. So we go right into the interview with Allison talking about signing up for the FinOps Certified Professional course. Awesome. Everybody enjoy. We're an organization that has personal development plans and all that good stuff and you map it out for the year and you obviously review them as the year goes by. But my main one at the beginning of the year and amongst sort of more granular worky things was be in a position to start the professional course. You know, cover those prereqs and and just make sure you're doing it. So I've sort of been laying those foundations. And then my boss had said to me, why are you only getting ready to start? Why aren't you starting it? I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. So that's going to be my world for the rest of the year, I think. So I'm looking forward to that, actually. I'm terrified by it, but I like it. It'll it'll stretch because I'm I'm still quite a newbie in the world of FinOps. Yeah, sure, I've worked in infrastructure delivery for ever, but... In a proper purist FinOps, you know, I listen to some of our practitioners speak and I, I'm lost. I, you know, there's, there's so much I don't know, but they, they sort of come from that, I don't know, it's 11 million VMs and all of the different RIs and how all of that works. And we as an organization haven't gone that route. We built a private cloud that all our VMs go on. We're trying to be cloud native. So my world's slightly different and it's not that whole, oh, well, you just move them from your data center to the cloud and then you've got all of the optimization going and all of the low hanging fruit and everything. So all that world that a lot of people who've been in it lots longer than me speak about leaves me 
I don't know, just feeling like I, feeling like I don't know. I suppose it's a bit of the imposter syndrome as well. You're always surrounded by clever people. I love being surrounded by clever people, but it does leave you thinking, I'll just stay quiet. Mm. Well, unfortunately, you're around Noel and I. Except today, when I'll share the more basic. I should have said, this is Alton McIntyre. This is the basic FinOps. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. But I think that you just said something that's really important to know. What is Lloyd's cloud strategy? You said you're going to try to keep your cloud environment as cloud native as possible? Yes. Yes. So we have a very strong cloud strategy. Our new CEO is absolutely driven. He comes from an organization where they were there, you know, three, four, maybe even five years ahead of us, but they were very VM driven. We've got some VMs in, but when I started looking at reservations, it was small amounts, you know, saving a few thousand across the patch, maybe saving, but by comparison, so small to the numbers that people felt, you know, talk about because we're containers and, and cloud native, but it does mean you're so much slower in your adoption of the cloud because that's harder than just, I know it's not quite lift and shift, but being a, an ex-infrastructure program manager, in my world, it's lift and shift as good as versus complete re-engineering. And then when you open the door to complete re-engineering, you go, well, do I really want to re-engineer this thing Maybe I want to completely turn it over and do these 10 things and make them one thing. And we've got a lot of scope for modernization and we're really driven by our mission statement. Our drive is helping Britain prosper. And in order to do that, we need to have the tools and the services behind the scenes underpinning them. And, um, and that's why the cloud's at the heart of it, because it should help us speed up that development but to get onto the curve is actually really difficult modernization uh, hard isn't it well i mean we've been talking about it for a long time we've been laying the foundations to get to it for a while and working out and or our strategy about six seven years ago was building a new private cloud and going from our very traditional, you know, dying data centers to a new, and it was a partnership deal. And that was great. And there was meant to be lots of re-engineering, but we're such a huge organization. And there are so many things that, oh, it's just Johnny who always did that. Quite difficult. Because you know, they talk about eating an elephant, do it one mouthful at a time. When you're potentially looking at building a whole new banking platform it becomes so huge where on earth do you begin because you can't just do a bit of it you've got to have all of the parts and you know if you if you apply the scrum or the sprint analogies of you do minimum viable product and all of that there isn't really a minimum viable product for a banking platform. It's got to be top notch. And then you add in the layers of regulation and security. And we were getting a really good head of steam and the regulators in the UK, the financial regulators, got a little anxious and sort of were, were a bit concerned and decreased the risk appetite. It didn't stop us. 
but it made us have to reevaluate all of the workloads that were planned to go and how would they go and, and had we spread our concentration risk. Whereas I believe, I guess, that other non-financial organizations sort of start a bit of play, get a bit of a head of steam, moving from their cranky old data centers into the cloud, absolutely super idea. You get relatively easy, they're back to the lift and shift. And then they're, oh, now we can see it. Now we've got data. We know how much it costs. Business cases build themselves, don't they? Well, we either optimize it or actually we can then re-engineer it. And maybe I'm being naive, but you can see it more in its constituent part because it's had a bit of a cleanup when it's gone to the cloud. Whereas we're kind of going from potentially quite old to trying to go to fully reimagined. So it's jolly exciting. It just, everything always takes longer and, and everything has to be so secure and so right being in a bank. It's, it's key. It's what we're about. We don't, you know, I don't say we don't have outages, but, you know, we seldom have outages. We're seldom in the past. What drives our behaviours? Well, I was going to say, you remember a few years back, I don't think it was you, it was RBS. Uh, it's another big bank over in the UK. They had, let's call it an outage, but... <laughs> Their batch processing kept backing up more and more and more, like transactions kept happening and their services were out for a week. And that impacted a lot of banks that were child banks of that yeah. big one. You said there that the regulator, their risk appetite changed. And one of those things about the cloud is it's, you know, the it's, it's, it's there, it's big, it's, it's always on. You can spin up new instances all the time. I know that uh, different, the different vendors, they will say to you, well, we guarantee you that these instances will be there. But uh, is that an instance that, that you use as a kind of a, hey, let's watch out for this. We don't want this to happen. What would happen if? So it's a really good question, Mel. Any issues in any financial institution in the UK and maybe actually worldwide now, drives behaviors that impact us either from inside out as in we look at them i remember sitting i remember when that incident kicked off major incident even that's too small a description that's for too it. small i was sitting in a room with a lot of very senior ex-rbs people royal bank of scotland one of whom had mostly written the batch back 25 years previously they all went back to RBS to help them out. It was that, you know, it was all hands to the pump and regardless of who you worked for, it was huge. And it did change a lot of our, our lower level strategies of how we would do things, how we would maybe outsource, maybe not quite as strongly as that. And I've seen it with smaller cloud outages, you know, always on. Yeah, they are. They are. They're, they're immense. Their level is huge. But all the guarantees, if we've all read the stories, there are outages. That it's mm -hmm. technology. It's, uh, actually, the technology is okay. It's probably the human element of it. And they try and get rid of as much as possible. But, you know, stuff happens. Real life happens. And they, you know, as a result, they go, oh, is this a concern? And then when they see one of the cloud providers maybe having an issue, they then go, well, you can't be putting all your eggs in that basket. So before we're even a, you know, a big player in cloud spend, 
we're having to split our cloud suppliers. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, we could have found our feet before all of these changes, but it makes it jolly exciting. It gives from a FinOps point of view, it gives me the opportunity to actually get so many of the foundational building blocks in. I mean, I would quite love to go somewhere where it was on fire. <laughs> there was, you know, there was painting hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds, and they had no control over it. I think that would be awesome. I think I, it would probably break me, but I think that would be really cool. I'm in, a, I'm in an organization where everybody's interested and what are we doing and, you know, what are, where is it at? And tell me about synops and what are you going to do to protect me from overspend? Uh, yeah, I'm going to help you protect yourself. It's normally my answer. But it does give me, not just me, but the team and my boss, the opportunity to get our house in order, to get the foundations built, to do loads of education. Whereas if we were in a, in a firefight of trying to get a handle on it, it's hard to do the good stuff and plan it out and actually have a bit of a mini strategy for us. So we've been quite blessed in that regard. Well, it's so interesting because you're trying to go cloud native and stability and lowering risk is the highest value item. So doing things as cheap as possible isn't necessarily your number one priority. It's doing things that lowering your risk and keeping your system as stable and reliable as possible. How are you all measuring value from that? Do you do like those assessment comparisons? Like, oh yeah, we can do this cheaper, but the risk goes way up. How are you evaluating this? So it's a funny one because, you know, you talk about the Iron Triangle and stuff. We, we don't have the opportunity to change our risk appetite. Our risk appetite is hit. And also it's, you know, a lot of it's probably set for us by the regulator. So we don't really have that lever to pull, but we're a bank and we're driven by money and we're driven by profit. So back to your point about the cheapest, the amount of effort based on cost comparison between how much is it costing currently to how much it's costing in the cloud when they don't actually know the designs fully for the cloud yet. You know, sometimes you wish people would just be able to make more of a leap of faith, but I appreciate the organization I work for. And we're not a, we're not a leap of faith organization. We're a trusted partner. We're the biggest bank in the UK. We have to be a trusted partner. It's funny though. It does, it does make those decisions difficult because it Mm -hmm. still stacks up and those those old ways of thinking, the very unfinops, you've got the strategy that says cloud first and, and cloud native from on high. And this isn't an IT strategy. This is our business strategy. This is how we are going to be the best bank for our customers. This is how we will get our share price up. You know, all of those things. But then you've still got your budgetary processes that are still hard-coded in CapEx and not RevEx in the Tira. And it's slowly, but it takes a long time to turn a tanker this size, unfortunately. Well, it's turning now, so I hope now it's turning, then it speeds up, right? That's my, my expectation. When, when it completes that turn, is it going faster? <laughs> well... So I always have this thing where folks say, oh, is it going to be cheaper? I love that you said faster because 
the fintechs have proven this. You know, I remember when fo- folks first started talking about fintechs and I was like, what? I was so, such a dinosaur then. What's all this rubbish? Banks have to build data centers and they need mainframes and, you know, archaic stuff. And they've utterly proven us wrong. And they, you know, they're not having outages all the time. They're not, they're not taking rest. They are regulated. They're also able to get improvements out to their customers so much quicker. They're able to deliver benefit to their customer segment quicker. That has to be a value. We're so far away from, I say, I guess because we're so early on our tired journey, but I can't wait until we're in that, the, you know, we've got enough that we're doing the business economics and the business value discussions. That's going to be cool. I mean, I preach it theoretically in all the education and training and let me tell you about FinOps sessions that we run all the time, but it's theoretical. Whereas I've got a few business areas that they're early adopters. They really understand it. They're rebuilding it from the ground up and they know what the business is. It's delivering. I'm like, let me add it. Let me work with you on this because then you... That's so powerful. And I know that that's at the heart of FinOps, but bottom line is loads of people and loads of organizations can be doing FinOps and can be doing cloud and operating in the cloud. And these things actually might not ever happen. You know, it's doesn't mean they're wrong, but they're not seeing the whole picture in a way. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better though than when you find that application or in business or that that have that have got it and you can use them yeah bring them to the other teams who are going this is impossible i can't do this and you go you're correct now meet my team meet this team who have done it yeah this is powerful isn't it it's not me saying oh tell me how many accounts you've opened as a result and it's it's not someone from the other company yeah it's someone who has the same company politics to play yeah. as you yeah exactly and how they did it the stories and i see that as part of my role and finops role is doing all the core finops stuff but also being the glue between all these because they're all coming at you know if you think of hub and spoke in a way and people come and need help with their forecasts or reviewing their business cases and i'm like yeah i'll happily do that but whether you've put everything in your business case, because I don't know what your designs are and I can't, even if I did know your designs, could I translate it to make sure you'd covered everything in the calculator? Maybe yes. Maybe in a few years, but not just now. I'd have a good guess. And But then as people do it more, I'll learn more. I'll be like, I can glue those two together. Oh, Johnny was doing that six months ago and now he's six months further ahead on the journey. And you know what? He's learned loads. I can paraphrase or let me introduce you. And it's that glue of whether it's for forecasting or whether it's for how they got around a a RevX challenge or how they started at the very beginning. What is the lessons learned, isn't it? And if they're coming into the center pool, it's then my job to make sure that everybody else benefits from them, not just me and I get to preach about it. Yeah, that's great. I want to go back to something you said a little while ago around one of your things is modernization. Mm. What does that look like to you, right? So I think when you start, you said it a few minutes back, you said getting to the cloud, that was going to be modernization. But as you get in there, 
what does it look like? What is that success story for you? Tangibly from an organizational sort of cloud adoption point of view, do you mean? No, I, I mean from you. For you, okay. what would success look like there? Right? Because yes, we can all sit down and go, this is what my goal for the year in modernization is and tick a box. But what would it mean to you? What would you want to see? To me, with my lens looking at it, because of course I'm not doing modernizing. It's my customers, my internal consumers who are needing to do it. I need to see our spend go through the roof. Because if our spend goes through the roof, I know the challenges the, not the challenges, the, the entry criteria to allow them to get on to the cloud and to be able to consume the products. We have, we only have curated products because they've got to be secured and all of that good stuff. So our library of curated products is, it's smaller than some and is certainly a million times smaller than what's on offer if you just went to Google or Azure or AWS. That library has to grow. Consumers have to come and consume. So for me, it's really easy. If I see our spend going up, like people are, you know, what's that phrase? Build it and they will come. They've come. And the spend is my indicator. So I get that. I get that real time on actual spend, but because my world of late last sort of, yeah, six, nine months has been forecasting and trying to get that nailed. Which is maybe early doors, but because we've got commitments with our cloud providers, which I'm sure lots of other people have too, and because we're maybe going a bit slower than we had anticipated, what with some major organizational changes, which do slow things down, those commitments are in the spotlight. And if you're going to renegotiate a commitment, surely you have to renegotiate it to a position that you can you know, have a good old stab at, you know, so that's then back at me. So as much as our spend isn't vast, it's still significant by my standard, but, you know, doing all of that, I then give a picture to the future because once you've spent it, you spent it. Even if you're seeing it in almost real time, it's done. Mm -hmm. Whether it's good spend or wasted spend, it's spent. And how do you know what it's going to look like? Or how do you know where the spends are nonetheless? People say, oh, you look at the trends and everything. Well, the tooling all just, oh, we're great. We've got spend alerts and anomalies and everything. And I'm like, yeah, well, they're just based on history. My view is so different to so many people who've been operating for so much longer because I don't have history. I don't have steady state. So therefore, I, I have a really different lens. I'm like, it's I love automation. I, I, I love all that because it gives you the speed. But actually, you can't beat the human knowledge about the what and the why because that's what gives you the value. It's back to what are you delivering? Well, how many widgets is this in your company speak getting you? This application, let's use that as a, a bucket term. How many widgets of your application? Is it sales? Is it accounts opened? Is it whatever it is? Is it video streamed? You know, whereas how do you know whether it going up is anomalous? Well, you don't unless you've got forecasts. And if the forecasts are only based on history, well, well, that's great. You've got a tool that does it all for you, but it's rubbish. It might yeah. not be rubbish when you're steady state. I'm so far away from steady state. I'd only talk in a really... And a world that's going to be 
changing for the next five years significantly. So, yeah, my world, it, it, it adds a different lens, I think, to some people I speak to. So forecasting, that's mm-hmm. straight out. It's important to you. It's super important to you, right? Yeah. Um, and you say you're growing, 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 right? And it's fine for smaller companies who are new in the cloud or who are in the cloud a while and maybe have you know two or three applications. It's easy enough to forecast, right? Everything you have is coming out of a data center going to a cloud of some kind, right? And you said you're multi-cloud, so you've got multiple things to be looking at, multiple things. And part of the thing is, you know, yeah, you might go to one vendor today and then the other vendor you might discover is actually giving you that tool is a little bit better and maybe cheaper. So, you know, you're forecasting, but you have to transfer data and everything else. Um, How are people interacting with you in that? How are you getting on in that messaging? So to your level of you might change and things, (laughs) when everything's changing so much, it actually gives you a bit of freedom. I'm dealing with a lot of areas that are onboarding onto the cloud. I'm an approver for them onboarding, which is great because before they've spent a penny, I'm going, so what do you think you're going to spend? They go, oh, how do I know? I'm like, are you really ready to come onto the cloud then? You know, most of the business areas aren't on there. For those that are, I'm already indoctrinating them. But at that level of, oh, we might move, we might change. And somebody was asking me the other day about the price changes coming through on GCP and had they been factored in. And I was like, you know, raffle casting generally, generally I say, when I roll it up to a CSP level, is well below 10% most of the time. Sometimes we peak at 12, quite regularly we sit at 5. People would say, you're nailing it. No, we're having a really good job at guessing right now. And there's enough that are guessing far too high and enough that are guessing far too low. So I don't, I don't put a lot of play in that overall stat, but... How are we doing it? I say to them, my mantra to them is put a stake in the ground, but I don't know where to put it. Just actually just put it anywhere. And I've used the words, I almost don't care what your first forecast is because once you do that, you can then improve it. Save some basis for yourself as to what it was based on. And if it's a wild-ass guess, all right, we'll make it a better wild-ass guess the next month when you maybe know a bit more. But to me, it's about improving, which is why we've been really blessed with sort of getting to this level of detail on some of the practices before Cloud Spend was out of control and people were screaming blue murder about, oh, you're going to have to optimize or save money or whatever. Just in that sentence you said there, optimizing the practices or learning the practices before, went out of control, right? I think it was that FinOpsX they share the big slide that said, you know, well, it's something like 86% of yeah. companies who go to the cloud are going to overspend by 4 billion or whatever, right? It's Gartner slide or something. So my company are going to the cloud for the last four, five, six, seven years type thing. Lots of companies get out there. We were all victims to that. Do you think you're in a better position because it sounds like it's a slower migration to the cloud at the moment, that you're not just yeah. lift and shift, just get there? I think there are absolute wins in it. But I think the losses are you don't get to the value of cloud as early. Mm-hmm. You know, and that inertia and being able to keep up 
with the market. You know, not the, are we competing with other banks, but actually what people are doing, engineering, the technical bit of it. I do think there is benefit, but equally, I think it can also feed the fear because they see headlines like that. So the headlines like that work in my favor because in our team's favor and our boss's favor, certainly, of going, you need to listen to us. FinOps isn't just done by our team. It's done by all of you lot. And if you don't get it, let me tell you and I'll keep telling you and I'll keep repeating it. So it's good they'd hear us. That's a definite benefit. It can breed a bit of inertia though if you're not careful. Or that desire to be progressing faster. But then that also plays into an organizational approach and behaviors. Your risk back what we were saying, your risk tolerance to security, because it's not just uptime and everything. Oh security is huge. We spend, you know, so much of our spend is currently for our core client services team used to be CCOE. You know, I'm waiting for our percentage of total spend to shrink a bit because it's quite expensive just now for only a few apps on it. But I think it's all about laying foundations. I hope, time will tell, right? I hope that in 10 years time, because our foundations are maybe being built deeper, it stands us in better stead. But then that cloud moves and the world moves so quickly now. You don't know whether, you know, building really deep foundation is what's needed. It's really interesting now. I shall, I shall watch the industry to see how it goes. Now, I think the foundation is a great analogy there because I think a lot of companies or a lot of people went to the cloud without the foundation and then got their bill shocks yeah. and reacted, whereas have the foundation and then build on that. It's, it's a great analogy. I think it's, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. Yeah. I really appreciate the slower approach towards cloud native services that you're taking. And you're acknowledging that there's risk with that. Moving slow does have risk. However, I have heard enough companies the big wigs of those companies go out and announce digital transformations and application modernization, and we're going all in on the cloud. And then they do it by lifting and shifting, and you're, they're just using infrastructure as a service and treating the cloud as a data center. And it's that's not digital transformation. There's no transformation in that. That's just moving your data center and actually, oh gosh, paying somebody else to run a data center for you. How is that ever going to be cheaper? Right. But they almost, I can't, I can't put it down too much or belittle it too much because it's almost out of that lack of thought that the need for FinOps and the, the practices within FinOps were born. Mm -hmm. Okay. You'd always have, you know, you were charged back because it's consumption based. I do get that. But that's where the kind of headlines that drive people at the senior levels to say, we need to be doing this. Right. If there hadn't been those, and I don't know whether calling them early adopters is right, because there's hordes of them and they were fully adopting. To me, early adopters are real cutting edge, but you know, that's maybe fast followers. Mm. And you're talking about, you know, some huge blue chip global organizations. I mean, 
I can't help but wonder what controls are in place, but maybe that speaks to my background of, oh, what controls are in place with converse the whole time? Maybe it says more about me. Well, it's funny because I remember when I was a practitioner and I'd go through the applications that were migrating and the applications that transformed, that went cloud native, those are beautiful things. They're easy. They're my favorite applications. And then there are there are business cases. I'm not going to bash on all yeah. lift and shift. No, there I'm are, with you. Yeah, there, there are sometimes, there's a million different reasons why it might be a good idea. And those I understood. But then there were some that moved over to the cloud and you're like, hey, you are running all your environments 24-7. <laughs> all your okay. environments are way oversized. Uh, can we just, can we talk about how we can make this more efficient. And they're like, well, no, because we can't handle an outage. And I'm like, well, we just need you to reboot or shut down. And they're like, nope, it takes 17 hours to relaunch the software. And you're like, start looking at them. You ask them a few more questions and hitting more roadblocks. And then I finally asked, why are you here? Why are you in the cloud? Why are you even <laughs> in the cloud? Because it would be cheaper. And those, yeah. And I guess that's where I kind of feel out of my depth because a lot of the practitioners who have got years on me have been in the guts of that, of picking mm -hmm. it apart, what people are doing, the mass of mess that was created. And I just haven't. So you just, it's almost that, you know, I don't know, could I do it? I'd like to think I could do it if I was in it, but I don't need to. So I never think about it. For me, my challenges are things like, shared services not my shared costs my shared services so we're not even planning i mean some applications will be re-engineered they won't we'll get rid of 50 applications and we'll maybe have four it's so big that the thinking of it becomes almost too big and you're like oh where do i start but, you know, and then it's all the shared services, huge, great big clusters that will be shared. And I, you know, I start off with very basic. My colleague, Mike Coates, has got his pizza analogy of tell me how the pie is sliced up. To me, I'm like, what's your widget measure? Is it the number of people accessing it? Is it the number? Is it the storage? Is it the, I don't know how you're using the container. I don't know what cloud products you plan to use. You do, you have to translate that back to me to say it can be sliced like this. I have a complete aversion, like a real soapbox on it, shouting about it, to, oh, well, we've got 10 customers, they'll pay 10%. Just makes me too cross. It really makes me really cross. And I'm lucky in the fact that I get to point to a driving principle, which is, we should only be charging our consumers for spend that they can influence. So if you've got 10 consumers and one of them goes, I'm out, and everybody, you know, then those costs are shared between nine. You know, Joe Daly that had his 10th last month suddenly is paying a ninth of it. He's not done anything. That's wrong. But to me, that's just inherently and fundamentally wrong. So I've, and thankfully, nobody's questioned when I just keep saying, oh, we've got a driver here thing. <laughs> because I need to know the widget and the number of users and just slicing up the pie to the 10 people using it. I just don't think sophisticated enough. But I have got some solutions that are being engineered at the moment that are 
hugely complex where they're almost like a a layer cake where you know you peel off the icing and you go okay the icing is gonna go is actually going to be shared cost of all of the cake so it's shared cost of the shared service and then you've got right okay well some consumers are having it as a slice some are you know and it's hard work but i find that intriguing of actually picking it apart you just ruined cake for me i know well no because you can have a great big wallopig slice you've just got to pay for it (laughs) (laughs) well let me circle it back to what we were talking about at the beginning and the pro course i mean you're talking about how nervous you are but it honestly everything you're saying this is lining up perfectly with what you'll be doing. I'm just really scared that, you know, I guess it's nature, isn't it? I'm scared I won't be good enough. Because oh. if I do something, I want to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Doing okay is never really. So you set yourself those. But then that's, but it, it's a funny old dichotomy because I love that fear. I mm-hmm. love that fear because it pushes me, it feeds me, it drives me of, you know, do I love public speaking? Maybe not, but I love the fear and I love the buzz afterwards. So therefore I do, you know, I'm not going to ever do a bungee jump. I don't like that kind of adrenaline, but the stuff that just pushes you outside your comfort zone and challenges you. It's such an exciting industry. The FinOps element of it just hooked me. Mm -hmm. When I read more about it, it gave me that view. I love numbers. I love data but I'm an IT person, but I'm not an IT techie. I've always been that glue between the business and the techies who are doing the work or something like this. And I, that's why I sort of see this world as sort of that that middle bit of putty that sticks all the bits together. And, yeah. and it just makes sense. It's common sense, but done right, it's magic. You just said you don't like public speaking. You realize like hundreds and hundreds of people will listen to this. Yeah, this is different. It's just you and I speaking, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I'll probably ever listen to it. (laughs) Oh, you will. It's going to be great. It's going to be. This is brilliant. This has been so much fun. It's such a great conversation with Alison. And one of the things I think that resonates for me, and I think it resonates for a lot of women too, is sometimes we're afraid to do that thing because we're scared that we won't be good enough. And I think that's exactly what Allison says. She was nervous to sign up for pro class because she's scared that she wasn't good enough. And obviously, by listening to this conversation, it's very clear, one, everybody is good enough, has nothing to be good enough. But not only is that, she's so knowledgeable on this topic and has so much that she can teach other people and help other people with. So I don't know. I just wanted to say something about like, never let that fear hold you back. Right. Like she says, live in that fear and kind of love that fear. If it ever comes, even certifications or trainings, you know, they can always reach out to training at finops.org if they need someone to hype them up. Cause I think either you or I are like the best hype people, but I really hope that no one feels like they can't do it because of the expectations of other people. If you're part of this community, if you're part of this foundation, you know, we're here. We're here to help you to get through those milestones, whatever they might be, and to support you and cheer you on and sharing your successes. So that's it's really so it. True. I just wanted to say, you she, got this, folks. You've got this. Allison was tremendous. And mm-hmm. I could not believe how open and vulnerable she was being while also demonstrating what 
amazing perspective she has and wisdom mm-hmm. from her experiences. And it's that we're all that massive contradictions of self-doubt plus hands-on knowledge. So. Right. You know what though, and now that you say that, I feel like we're never going to stop talking, but that is oh, the Steve's beautiful- going to get upset. But we're at the at we're at the end now. It's okay. You can turn it off if you don't want to hear this deep insight from Joe and I. Bye, Steve. Seriously, though, think about the people that we've had on the podcast, the people that we've talked to in person in the community. There's a lot of folks that have explained this too, and they've shown this kind of vulnerable. This is how I felt. This is whether I had imposter syndrome, whether I didn't have the background to go into this field. Look at you know, Kim Weir, who's pivoted from real estate law to running the engineering team and doing FinOps team, like all these people that have just had these amazing career journeys and paths and pivoting and overcoming fear or imposter syndrome. We are such a better group and a better community because we're willing to talk about that and acknowledge it. And, you know, I I don't know. I just, I just love this group so much. (laughs) It's just so great. And I'm so proud of everybody in this community. That's it. Mm -hmm. We're the best. We are an amazing community. And with that, let's thank everybody. Thank you, Stacey. uh, Thank you, Joe. Bringing the energy. Oh, thank me. You're welcome. Thank you, Alison McIntyre. Thank you, Noel Crowley. Yes. And thank you to all the listeners. No thanks to Steve Trask, who thinks we should tighten this up a bit. And with that, that's it for this episode of FinOpsPod. Talk to you in a few weeks. 